1995, an American Airlines flight, flight 965, crashed literally into a mountain, the side of a mountain in Colombia. It killed all 151 of its passengers and the eight crew, eight-man crew. The passengers were returning from, to Colombia for the Christmas holidays, but they were returning during a storm. The weather hid the mountain from plain sight, but the plane's ground proximity warning system, they call it the GPW, the ground proximity warning, warned the pilots that the terrain was quickly coming upon them. In fact, it was the words that usually come up is pull up, pull up, terrain, terrain. 12 seconds after the GPW was saying this, the plane ran into the side of the mountain. The warning system saw what they did not and were too distracted to see. When the rescue crews discovered, looked through the wreckage, as they do, they look for the flight recorder, some call it the black box, to see if it was a technical malfunction of the impending danger before the catastrophe hit. And this is what was shocking, what they heard on the voice recorder. They said seconds before they hit the mountain and the GPW was warning them, the response from one of the pilots as they heard pull up, pull up, were these words, shut up, gringo. And 12 seconds later, ran into the side of a mountain. They heard the warning, but failed to yield to the warning. This message today could be a GPW for what's coming ahead. Some of you may walk out, others may, I believe, many of you will pull up and go, God, we hear what you're saying to us. We will keep our eyes on you today. And so I want you to follow with me in these next few moments. Some years ago, I took a car ride with the founder of this church and the founder of Teen Challenge, David Wilkerson. We were going up towards Hershey, Pennsylvania to our Bible school summit that you saw on the screen that will be hosting the prayer meeting this coming Wednesday. And as we were driving, I asked David Wilkerson a question um, that is always that I've always been interested in. And I said, many would call him Brother Dave, and I said, Brother Dave, it seems when you preach about what you see getting ready to take place in our nation, and it's such a strong prophetic word, I said, you seem to open up your Bible and use the prophetic books of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets. I said, why do you do that? It seems that those passages and those, those prophecies were meant for the people that it was being prophesied to, to which David Wilkerson spoke something very profound, which I think helped me to see a little bit clearer what God has been showing me. And he said this, he said, Tim, history is cyclical. Those prophecies can easily speak to our times and our nation because you will see not only the consistency of sin, but also in it, it is the consistency of how God begins to handle a nation that, caught, that is caught, whether it's backsliding or a nation that turns to God. He said God will always deal consistently with people and nations like he has throughout the Old Testament. So don't be surprised 
when you read something there, if you see a similarity of what's happening today. I'd like to say it to you this way. I believe history is cyclical because sin is predictable. You know that sin is always trying to fight against us, always seeming to come. What I want to share with you started in my heart back in the summer, June of 2023. It was when I walked outside the front doors of our offices to meet another New York City pastor at a, at a restaurant, and I was struck, as many New Yorkers, by something that we didn't expect or expect to see is when we got up to see clear skies and then all of a sudden we walked outside and everything was orange outside. How many remember when all of a sudden you walked out and the entire city looked like it was on fire as if a bomb dropped? It was, a, it was, an, it was the residue of the Canadian fires that were sweeping from the north over New York City. The skies changed and it almost seemed apocalyptic as if New York City was on fire. I saw people stopped and in shock and filming with a concern um, as if we were enter entering um, really apocalyptic times. And I had somebody stop me and say, is this the end? Is it over now? And God at that moment began to move upon my heart that this is what happens when God suddenly comes to bring soberness to a people or soberness to a nation that won't listen to when he's speaking to them. When you say the name Jonah, we immediately associate his name with what? A whale, a fish. But that was just a detour in his life. He should be associated with one of the most incredible revivals in history. His assignment was to go preach, repent, to the most violent group of people at that time called the Assyrians. In fact, historians say they were the most barbaric group of that time and God was going to judge them. And Jonah was in a sense the last voice, the last straw before God would come. Let me read to you what happens when Jonah goes to this barbaric people that God is about to, to come and bring judgment. The sky was orange to them. The prophet shows up, and let me read to you what happens in the book of Jonah, chapter three, post-whale, and this is what happens. The Bible says in Jonah 3.3 3, that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it, and Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. All, I'll define to you, because that gives the next chapter what that number was. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust, and he issued this proclamation to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds, or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. This is amazing. The animals were fasting at this time. We can't get people to fast. They have animals fasting here. And he says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and have compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. 
Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. The revival of Nineveh doesn't get talked about that much when revival is, is, is spoken of, but it was an entire city. In fact, 100% of the city, we're told, turns to God. Jonah 4.11 tells us that 120,000 people turned to God in that moment. Judgment was, was held back. Revival came. But history is cyclical because sin is predictable. And that's why, stay with me now, that's why Jonah and the book of Nahum are not only connected, but they are current. That's why Nahum, this small little book of the Old Testament, should have this huge bearing and soberness to us today. And it really begins to answer this question. How can a nation that has known God's blessing come under God's judgment? Let me, let me say that again. How can a nation like Nineveh, a city like Nineveh, who saw the blessing and outpouring of God come under the chastisement and the judgment of God? And I have to tell you, and I'll explain, and I'll show you through the scriptures that I believe a storm is coming to this country. That something is getting, that nations that have known the touch of God, not just America, nations that have known the touch of God, this story of Jonah and Nahum, this connection of these two books, are not just, they're not just connected, but they're current. And I dare say that very few people have ever heard a pastor say, turn to the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum is a remarkable prophecy. The prophecy, the prophet has one theme, and the one theme is this. God is going to judge Nineveh, the city that experienced revival, the city that knew God's blessing is now going to come under God's judgment. The prophecy of Nahum has already been fulfilled back in the Old Testament. How can this book be meaningful even to us today? Does it, does it even have a message for us? Here's the good news, folks. This is why we preach the word of God. The remarkable thing about this supernatural book is no matter where you turn in this book, God can speak to us today. That's what makes this book so remarkable. It starts off in verse one of chapter one. It says, the burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. Now, Elkosh was in Syria, just a few miles from Nineveh, which means Nahum is a prophet in Nineveh, in Nineveh about 150 years after Jonah preached there. So keep that in mind. Nahum is written a little over 150 years later. And the Nineveh revival is remarkable because of 120,000 animals and people all being, being called to put on sackcloth and ashes. And then this question has to be asked. How did it work out? Did it last? Did the nation become a godly nation? And the sad answer is it didn't. It went back to their paganism. It went back and became as brutal as before, and many believe even worse than before. That, that just became shocking to me. Some years ago, a United States senator 
stated that the average life of a civilization, of a great civilization in the world, has usually been about 200 years. And in fact, this senator goes on to say these civilizations, I want you to see this on the screen, have progressed through these stages. Let me show you the progress that he said that civilizations go through. Listen to this, church. He says they go from bondage to spiritual faith. That's the awakenings. From spiritual faith to courage, which means they start fighting through injustices and things that need to be fixed in society. From courage to liberty. And then he says from liberty, then that nation will know abundance. But he says, but then something happens. They go from abundance to selfishness. And then from selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. And then from apathy back into bondage. He says this is the circle, the cyclical. Why is history cyclical? Because sin is predictable. That it's so easy for God to bless us with abundance. And then to find ourselves selfish with the abundance. And then to take the selfishness and it turns into complacency and the complacency to apathy that only our world matters and then the apathy brings us back to bondage and then you even ask yourself where are we as a nation a nation that has known abundance and liberty that folks I have to tell you I'm watching us experience the selfishness apathy and watching a nation begin even to go into bondage this is the picture of Nineveh Nineveh saw liberty, a spiritual awakening. And then all of a sudden, it all turned. And now, 150 years later, Nineveh, the the, the city that knew the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, knew the presence of God, has now found itself beginning to go back into bondage. I, 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 I said this at the first service because it was so new to my heart. This morning, I read a passage of scripture that I never saw the connection to. Jesus in the Gospels, I don't know if anybody ever remembers when Jesus said these words. He says, when an evil spirit comes out of a person, goes through dry places. How many know that passage? Goes through dry places and it doesn't find anywhere to land. It'll go back to its original home when he finds it unoccupied, swept clean and in order, it says it doesn't just come back, but seven times worse. Listen to the verse before it. You ready for this? The verse before it, he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up with you at the time of judgment and condemn you because they turned to God and changed their way to Jonah's message. And folks, he connects, it seems, those two things. That when God starts to clean out something, we have to fill it up with him. We cannot do what we want, decide what we want, vote on what we want, legislate what we want. We go back to this and say, God, we want what you want for our country and for our nation. We as a nation have experienced three great awakenings and a number of outpourings of God's Holy Spirit. We're millions, not 120,000, millions have come to faith in Christ. The first great awakening swept through the American colonies in 1730s and 40s using Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield as mouthpieces. It was God preparing a nation 
that God would be the foundation of their government and even their documents. And God poured out at such a pivotal time for, for this brand new nation. And then a hundred years later, a second, second great awakening, God began to awaken the nation again because it saw it beginning to go into a moral decline. And then the second great awakening with the Cane Ridge Revival, Bart Stone and Charles Finney, with an emphasis on winning souls and traveling and evangelism and preaching the gospel from the four corners of the globe. And then finally, a third great awakening came right to this city it started. This was the epicenter, New York City, down on Wall Street, where a layman, a person who wasn't even a preacher, Joseph Lamphere, wanted to do something, wanted to pray and brought together about a half a dozen people and said, can we pray at noon every single day? It says that, that six people started to gather in lower Manhattan and started to pray and didn't know that it would light a fire across this country. That at noon every single day, they said a million people would stop at work and be, would begin to seek the face of God. They said the prayer was so powerful in New York City. You ready for this? They said ships that were coming in, they'd pull in and people were crying on the ships, not knowing what they were coming to, but felt the presence of God. Folks, those awakenings were also buttressed with revivals from Azusa Street, the great outpouring in Los Angeles, to the Jesus Revolution that, that many of you saw a movie about and other revivals. And, and the question that I ask as, I, as we do upon Nineveh is, did the revivals last? And where are we now even as a nation here in our country? And even for those that are watching from the UK and from Germany and from Poland, for those that are watching in Australia and Austria, I have to ask this question. Why? Because Jonah and Nahum will not let us idly sit by and watch the sky turn red and nobody say anything about what's happening today. You can't sit back idly and go, what is, what is literally unraveling in the moral fabric of this nation and we as a church just keep having services and nobody says anything of what's going on and we're given it clearly in the scripture of what the Bible is telling us. Folks, make no mistake, God is patient, but God will not be mocked. God is patient, but he will not be mocked. In verse three of Nahum, once he says who the message is to, listen to what he says. He says, the Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Now here is, here is the book. Now, now folks, please just stay with me. It's just let me, let me unpack the, the history of this for just a moment here in Nahum. And then I, I promise you, you it, that, that I, we will all get happy and rejoice. I promise you that. Just stay with me for a second. But we have to see this. This, this, is, this is so important for us as a church. Nahum 3, chapter 3, gives us the reasons why he is going to judge the revival nation. Why he is going after Nineveh after 150 years, and why I believe 
that America is no different because history is cyclical. God is consistent and sin is predictable. Let me say that one more time. History is cyclical, sin is predictable, and God is consistent. And I want you, we, we are not off the radar. God doesn't move and send three great awakenings to our nation. God doesn't begin to do something in the 70s, something at the turn of the, 19th, of the, 18th, uh, of the 20th century with Azusa Street. Pour out his spirit um, in the Jesus movement in the 70s. And do all of these great outpourings and these sprinklings all over, even recently, whether it's Asbury College, and then say, you can do whatever you want. No, 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 no. God is trying to bring a nation to its knees to know that Jesus is the Lord, is what he's trying to do. But when that doesn't happen, Nahum, let me just read this passage. And I pray that you see, and, and, I'll, and I'll show you what's there. Because it looks like metaphor, but literally he is speaking to us today. Listen to what he says in Nahum chapter 3. He says, Woe to Nineveh, the city of blood, full of lies, crammed with plunder. Listen and hear the crack of the whips as the chariots rush forward against her, wheels rumbling, horses' hoofs pounding, chariots clattering, and they bump wildly through the streets. See the flashing swords and glittering spears in the upraised arms of the cavalry. The dead are lying in the streets, bodies, heaps of bodies everywhere. Remember, men stumble over them, scramble to their feet and fall again. All this because Nineveh sold herself to the enemies of God. The beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with their beauty, then taught them all how to worship false gods, bewitching the people everywhere. No wonder I stand against you, says the Lord Almighty. And now all the earth will see your nakedness and shame. I'll cover you with filth and show the world how really vile you are. All who see you will shrink back and in horror, saying Nineveh lies in utter ruin, yet no one anywhere regrets your fate. Listen now to verse 10. And all of your great men that you thought you were going to trust in, they're bound in chains themselves. You also will be drunk, you'll be hidden you will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, if they'll, they'll fall into the mouth of the eater. What he was saying was even the things that you thought were steady and couldn't be moved. He says just a little shaking, the thing comes apart. Verse 13, surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire will devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln and the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locust. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven, but the locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts and your generals like great grasshoppers which camp in the hedges on the cold day. When the sun rises... They flee away in the place where they are not known. Just a few more verses. Your shepherds, he even speaks to who knows what churches were started during this revival. And he speaks to the shepherds. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing and your wound is severe. Folks, this is devastating news that a revival nation is now going to come under the judgment of God. And I see here what literally began to sober me and shock me 
is to see six occurrences in Nineveh that signal the judgment of the revival city. And I stood back and thought, oh God, for our country and our nation, for your country that are watching around the world, that has seen God move, Germany that's just seen a reformation, the UK which has watched everyone from, from Spurgeon to John Wesley, to see what has happened for those that are watching from Korea, to see the great outpouring of prayer in your nation, and all over, both Africa and also Central and South America, the great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, and to see what God is doing. And at any point, when we begin to take the blessing of God and begin to turn it to selfishness and then complacency and then apathy and then back to bondage, it becomes a dangerous place for all of us. Here are the six occurrences that I saw in that chapter, chapter three. Let me just list them for you. Number one, he says, violence will fill your streets. Violence, and I'll come back to these in a moment. He says, you've turned to drunkenness and perversion is what you've done in your cities. Number two, you have no more courage to stand for anything that that needs to be stood against. You don't even stand against it. He said, fourthly, there comes a flood of filth through your gates and you don't even stop it coming in. Number five, true leadership is lost. And when you need your leaders, they go into hiding and you never even see them in critical times. And number six, the ministers are slumbering, leaving the population crippled, void, and bruised. Think of this for a moment, folks. He says, one violence will fill your streets. Folks, I have people calling me all the time going, we want to visit you in New York City, but, but we're afraid Because, in fact, someone called me and said, can we bring jewelry? Can we wear it or should we leave it at home? Because we we saw that people are ripping it off. Folks, I'm just telling you, it's not New York City. It's every city. Everybody is facing this. It's unbelievable what's happening. And, and, And let me make something very clear here. Because you could walk through the city, there are protests everywhere. And I want to say something. And listen, it it, it may get me in trouble, but... I don't care. I really don't. I don't care what, what, what anybody feels. I, I know what the Bible says about this. But here's what I want you to understand. When you're watching the raising up of people in our universities and on our streets protesting against Israel, there's something deeper that's happening. People are shouting. Listen, it's a society that's hating what God loves. It's a society make, saying, if you love this, we hate it, and we'll pro. There's more that's happening here, folks. He says you'll turn drunkenness and perversion. We'll begin to come back into your cities. I read something. I remember I was, I was 15 years old. I remember when I read it for the first time. Someone, we were doing some assignment for our church youth group, and I was reading through the book of Isaiah, and I, I didn't understand anything. And at Isaiah 5, I read a verse, and I said, that's ridiculous, at 15 in the youth group. And this is what it said. It said, there's going to come a time that men will call evil good and good evil. And I said, ridiculous. That can never happen. Folks, that's where we live right now. That's exactly what's taking place. He says that there will be no courage to stand. In fact, listen to this. One version says in chapter 3, the men will become as women. Is what it says in one version of this. Folks, 
One of the largest religious groups in the world are now just saying, we'll accept everyone and everybody that can be baptized and we, we just don't care anymore. There's no more courage to take a stand anymore. People are afraid of losing followers on Instagram or we're afraid of trolls to come and speak against. I, I don't care. Post whatever you want against us. It doesn't matter anymore. It really doesn't. Folks, in one month, I'm going to be 60 years old. I'm, listen, I'm a, I, I am old at that point. And I, at that point, I'm ready for heaven. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be with what Jesus wants. And folks, that's why I don't... I, every time we begin to take a stand, people leave and people walk out and people troll and people send stuff and people want to... Pro that doesn't matter. We need to hear truth today. We need to hear what God is saying today. We need to hear the voice of God today. He said, there's going to come a flood of filth into your gates. And he said, you don't even stop it anymore. You don't even stop what's coming your way. From what's happening on our phones with our young people watching to what's happening in society. Folks, there's right down the street here, they're already experimenting with it and they've already put it in process. Now there's grocery stores down the street, Whole Foods. Now you don't even have to pay with money anymore. It's now you pay with palm recognition. I'm not paying for anything with my palm. I can tell you that right now. They, they may see that. They may see it as technology. I see it as the book of Revelation. Say whatever you want to say. That's what I see. I said, keep, keep that. Then, then if it's going to cost me my palm for to eat, I fast that day. I'll fast. He says, your true leadership will be lost and they'll go into hiding. When you need men, he says, they're all gone. They won't even be there. And then he says, your ministers will be slumbering, leaving the population cri crippled. Folks, we're in a moral landslide, but the church somehow has lost its urgency. We're, we're, it's, it's, we're watching a, a, a ship go down. It's like Nineveh. And, and it's as, as if... Churches don't even recognize, pulpits don't even recognize what's happening. The Christian most in danger is not the persecuted believer, but the comfortable believer. That's why the chief danger of the church is, 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 is when the church tries to get on the same side of the world instead of turning the world upside down is what we're called to do. Folks, come on. When, when, do, we, when do we start to go... It, there's not an election, a vote, or a can Everything that groups of people, they're, they're talking, they want red waves and blue waves, and we're going to win back Congress, and we're going to win this, and our can Everything has been falling apart. Everything that you, th when do we finally go? That's not where the answer is. The answer is found in, folks, I'm telling you, I'm not looking this way to D.C. I'm looking up to another city where God sits in glory and God is on the throne for us. That's where we look to. Come on, let's stop it. Stop getting your churches to look this way. We look this way and say, God, we need a miracle. You gotta wake up. And folks, it's sinking and and, and pulpits are, are, are doing series of, of movies and, and, and we'll see you at the movies. They take cultural movies. So you come to church, they show you a clip of the Barbie movie. 
and then they tell you what that means, what God is trying to say through the bar. Stop. Come on. They'll put up Oppenheimer and then Tom Cruise and, and Mission Impossible. I don't care. I don't care about Mission Impossible. I don't want to see Barbie. I want to know what God is saying to us. I want to hear what the Word of God is saying to us. Stop it already. Listen, listen, this is what he says. This, is, this moved me, this moved me to hear what Jeremiah prophesied. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of prophets who are prophesying to you. They're leading you into futility. They speak a vision, but it's their own imagination. It's not from the mouth of the Lord. They'll keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, there will be peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of her heart, they say calamity will not come. But he, then he goes, but who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Do you understand what he just said? He said, you can sit in a church with literally a stubborn heart and, be, and the pulpits are going, there'll be peace, there'll be peace. Folks, I want to be in a church that I'm convicted. I want to be in a church that my sin can't be in hiding. Uh, folks, there's... Listen, you, you can leave here. Stop your tithes. Stop whatever you want. Let me, you could do all that. The, folks, I'm just telling you this. I know what I'm called to do. I know what this church is supposed to be. And I'm telling you today, listen to me close. You can find places that you can live under a stubborn heart and under preaching that will never deal with stubbornness of heart. I want everything clean in my heart. I want everything out of this heart. I want a heart pure before God. God, may this always be a place that the Holy Spirit is here to convict us. He said, who has given heed to this word and listen, behold, the storm of the Lord is going forth in wrath. There's a tempest that is whirling. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out his purposes. And in the last days, you'll clearly understand it. Because he says, while the storm is coming, he says, I didn't send these prophets. They ran. I didn't speak to them, but they prophesied. And if they had stood in my counsel, they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from their evil deeds. Do you understand what he says? He says you can have a storm coming and a whole group of prophets and preachers that allow you to live in sin while the storm is coming upon you. And he says in verse 28, finally he says the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but he says, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. And then he says this, he says, what does is, what is straw have in common with grain? You want food in these last days. And then he says this, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer which shatters. Folks, that's why this Bible is so important. When the word of God is preached, it's a hammer that breaks through stuff. It breaks through all arguments, breaks through for us. Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, declare the Lord. Look at this. Who steal, who steal my words from each other. He says they don't even get a word from heaven. Let me put it in today's. They go online to find out what to preach. 
That's what they do. He says they look and go, what is he preaching? Let's do that series at our church. Nobody's hearing from heaven. That's why when you listen, everybody's saying the same thing. And that's why we need, we need pulpits that hear from God. We've got to hear what God is saying. I get it, folks. I get it. I know what it's like. Folks, I know as we sit here and right in the heart of New York City, we want revival. We want God to move. We need God to move. We need, but folks, we need a word from heaven. Nineveh, the city that once repented, is now disintegrating morally and spiritually. Jeremiah 6, 17 says, I set watchmen over you who warned you. Listen for the sound of the trumpet. It will let you know when trouble comes. But you said, no, we won't pay attention. Billy Graham said, if God doesn't soon bring judgment upon America, God will have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But I say God will have to go back and apologize to Nineveh is what he'll have to do. Now, folks, here, let, me, let me get to the very bottom of it, and then I'm going to bring you up into joy. Here it is. Let me be very personal with you right now. And this is where, this is where you'll get mad and have at it. I'm telling you, I can only warn you, there is a storm coming to this nation. Folks, there is coming something to our country and even possibly right here into New York City. It'll start in New York City and possibly D.C. again. We have been told that even just last month from our southern borders, 1,500, this is all, it's all in the news, 1,500 no-fly list people are trying to get in to our country both seen as terrorists. In fact, we've just been told that even our government has just pulled out right here in New York City people that are going into hotels that are possible terrorist threats to our city that's right here. And I believe, folks, here it comes. I believe this. I believe we have to brace for another terrorist attack to this nation. I'm telling that right now. People will look at me and they go, you're out of your mind. But I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you, we're at a place that God has got to get us back to our knees again. And if we don't, and if we don't, since we won't listen to the trumpet, since we won't listen to what God is saying, God will wake up slumbering preachers and slumbering churches. But I pray here, may God awaken us here and just know what's happening. <laughs> Folks, listen to me. We woke up one morning in February 24th, 2022, and Putin and the Russian army is invading the Ukraine. One month ago, Hamas terrorist attacks on October 7th. We wake up on a Saturday morning and we hear about the brutality that took place on the other side of the Gaza fence. And I truly believe that we have to brace for something that we may wake up one morning and find happening in our city and in our country again. I talked to our overseer, Pastor Carter, about this and he said, Tim, he said, he said I saw a dark cloud coming. I saw a dark cloud coming. And he said, we have to prepare, and we are preparing here. We started here, we started talking to our leaders, even our Jersey campus that's with us. We said, you will be a command center. We're reorganizing we're re, um, that whole campus that we can do everything from there, from feed people to house people. We're getting everything ready from there. Even here at this church, we're getting ready. But folks, listen to me. I want you to get this. I'm not speaking. I didn't have a vision of this. I'm just telling you, this is history that is speaking to our future. It's history that's speaking. But here's the part I want you to know today. 
we don't have to live in fear of what's getting ready to take place. We don't have to, folks, I, I, I don't want to be a church that's declaring peace in the middle of a moral crisis. You can call me fanatic. You can call me crazy. I'm not upset. I'm just trying to warn you here. I'm trying to warn you. Folks, I'm just telling you, we, we want to hear from heaven and let God begin to direct us. What do you mean, Pastor? Let me just say it like this. I walked into my office this week and somebody gave me a t-shirt um they said i saw this on the streets of new york and i had to buy it for you and i looked at this t-shirt and the t-shirt said this it said i'm not angry i'm just passionate i i i need to i'm gonna wear it one sunday and let you just i'm not angry folks i love you i just want to make sure those that are watching i'm not angry at churches or men i just want us to be ready i want us to be ready for what god's going to do that's why what is coming not only sobers me but it excites me because i am more convinced than ever that we are going to see a billion souls saved and come to christ in these last days so here it comes here it comes now what's the good news here it is now i'm going to give it to you I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want musicians to get ready to come. And I'm gonna, I want to read this to you. And I want to show you what's getting ready and what God is asking us to do. And I'm telling you, it ends with rejoicing of what God's going to do. So here's what he says. 1 Peter chapter 4. And then we're going to get ready to close. And we're going to baptize another 50, 60 people um, next door. But we're gonna, we need to rejoice and shout first. Here it is. Listen to what Peter says. He says, this is, this is the word he gives, knowing that there is, some, there is a catastrophe. There is an ending that's coming. He says, the end of all things is near, Peter says. So here's what he says. One, therefore, be of sound judgment, sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent your love one for another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And whoever speaks, do it as one speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves, do it as one serving by the strength with God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he says this, And beloved, do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal which comes upon you for testing, as though it's some strange thing that was happening. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, this is what he says, Keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Hallelujah. He says, he says in the end, there is going to be a joy because you know God is with you. There's going to be a joy because you know that you're not alone, that you're seeing it differently, that God is going to begin to do something so powerful. This is what he says. Listen to me, folks. He says, one, sound judgment. We need sound judgment. What is he saying? He says, don't be intoxicated with anything else. Don't let anything else grab your attention. Sound judgment. That's why even with water baptism, folks, if you're here today and you're playing around with, I don't want to get water baptized, I'll do it next. Do, if God puts it, get it done now. Don't, don't just sit there. Just go, I'm getting it done today. I'm not playing around. When God is doing something, be of sound judgment. Number two, 
sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. Folks, I just, I feel strongly, I've told our staff, I've warned, not warned, but I've told our staff, I said, we need to be ready on Sundays. I said, there's going to be Sundays that we're going to say, we met at 10, we met at 1, but we're coming back at 6 to pray. We're coming back at 6 o'clock to flood this place with intercession. That folks, we're going to say, go out, get something to eat, but get back in here at 6 o'clock. We're going to seek the face of God. We're going to challenge you to go up to Summit, to pray with, with Summit, to pray with Pastor Carter on Wednesday nights. Number three, he says, keep fervent in your love for one another. Folks, I'm telling you, if, if you are angry with something, get it right. If you're angry with me, I apologize. You're free now, okay? You don't have to be angry anymore. If you're angry with, just get it right. If you're angry with your husband, a child, if you're angry with a, with a, with a leader, just get it right. Be firm. Love covers a multitude of sins, and we've got to get this right. Then he says you need to use your gifts for God. Don't sit there anymore. Let your gifts be used by God. Time to volunteer. Get in the game. And then he says this, and whoever speaks, speak what God tells you. Be, a, be, be used of God. Don't be a, a diplomat, but be a prophet. Let a message from God. And finally, he says, these last two things, when it all happens, he says, you don't have to be surprised. You won't be surprised. And finally, he says, and then keep on rejoicing in the middle of all this. Keep on re You can have joy in the middle of this whole thing. Folks, I, I walk through... I saw some friends here from, uh, that work over there, and I talked to some new friends today at the first service. Right after the terrorist attacks took place in Israel, we had a Bible study over at the UN, and so it happened on a Saturday, and we were there four days later at the UN. Folks, it was to watch the hallways and this look of we don't know what's coming or what to do. It, it, was, it, it looked the, as we walked through the building, it looked, it looked, people looked hopeless and had no answers. And then we're in the next room singing songs. Ricardo was leading songs about how great is our God. And we're just, and I'm thinking, folks, all I know is this, that in the middle of all this stuff, we're not looking this way. We're looking this way. This is what he says. Listen, listen, listen to this. This is, what, this is what Jesus said. He said, when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. We look this way at this moment and let God. What do we do, Pastor? Sound judgment. What do we do, Pastor Tim? Sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. Fervent in love and keep a heart of forgiveness upon ourselves. We want our gifts to be used of God. If we're speaking, then speak what God says. And then don't be surprised. We're ready for whatever comes our way. And finally, we will keep on rejoicing during this whole thing. Let me tell you one last thing as you stand to your feet that David Wilkerson, I remember him saying about even dealing with something like this. And then we're going to sing. Then we're going to sing. The, the rest of the musicians can come. They can all come. Okay, listen to this. Bro Brother Dave said this. He said this to me. He said, he said because, because folks, my, my look is to heaven at this point. 
Folks, I don't look this way. When you see these things coming, he says this, look up because your redemption draws nigh. Folks, this is not my reward. This is not what, we, what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a place where there is no more tears, no more sickness, no more disease, no more medications, no more health insurance, no more surgeries, no more blood work, no more. I, I'm, folks, I'm just telling you, I'm ready to go home. I'm just telling you that right now. So here's what I'm going to do. But he's going to bring me home rejoicing. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going like, oh, get me out of here, God. I'm going to go, you bring me home, and you bring me to heaven. Folks, it can end in a moment, and, I, and all I know is this, that I get my reward. I'm with Jesus immediately. I'm not afraid, folks, I'm not afraid, we're not afraid of death. Folks, death just gets us to our reward clear. Some of you are going like, I knew this church is crazy. They talk about death and all that stuff. No, 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 no. We're talking about the realities. I don't want you to get used to it. This is a hotel. Our home and our mansion is in heaven. It's in glory. That's where this is at. And you watch people, you're watching Christians making the hotel like it's where you're going to live forever. I'm not living. You can keep this place. Keep it. Keep all you want. Take it all, folks. I'm telling you, I'm ready. I'm re and if and listen, if God is bringing, if God is calling us to manage and walk through another tragic moment, we're ready. We're gonna do it rejoicing. We'll be hospitable. We'll use our gifts. We'll be in the spirit of prayer. But folks, when it's all done, I'm ready to go be with Jesus at that moment. I, I'm listen. And for some of you, next gen, you're going. I'm just 25. I just want to get married. I just like to have a let me just tell you this. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but let me just say this. Let me say this. Getting a date is not wrong, but listen, we want you to keep your focus on Jesus is what we want you to keep your focus on. That's what we want you to do. Oh, we, we sang this together before service. We sang this with the choir in my heart. How many remember that old song? It goes, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Come on, sing it, church. When we all, when we all get to day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus we'll sing and shout one more time so come on church when we all all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be So Brother Dave said that there'd be two homes. This is Brother Dave's picture. David Wilkerson said, can you imagine being in that Israeli home in Egypt and the night that judgment was coming over Egypt, the death angel, that final, that final, um, that final plague was on its way. And this is what he said. He said, 
Think of these two homes in the first home. They put the blood on the doorpost and they're celebrating Passover. And this worried children, the teenage children of that home going, Daddy, will we be okay? Will that and, and the father looks and says, you're going to be just fine. He said, we have the blood upon the doorpost. God said, we're going to be fine. You don't have to worry about this at all. God is with us. And then he said, let me take you to another home in, in Egypt. And another Israeli family is there, this Jewish family. The father shakes his hand. His hand is shaking as he puts the door. His hand is shaking as he's cutting the, the Passover meal and his teenage children go, Daddy, will, will we be safe? He goes, I don't know. We've never seen anything like this. I've done, I've done everything that God has said. I put, the door, I put the blood on the doorpost, but I don't know if we're going to be okay tonight. We hear the screaming outside of our doors. We don't know what's going to happen tonight. We've never been here before. And then Brother Dave asked this question. He goes, I want to ask you this. Which of these homes are secure? Is it the one that has confidence that God is with us? Or is it the home that's scared? And this is what David Wilkerson said. said, they both are. Because they're under the blood of Jesus Christ at this moment. He said, it's not what you feel. It's the blood of Jesus that's over every single one of us. That's what makes us confident. That's what God begins to do. Folks, I can just tell you this. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow or before the end of the year. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm in Christ. We're going to get ready for water baptism, and we're going to dismiss all the water baptized bap candidates. We're going to dismiss. But can I just tell you, some of you are sitting here today. Let's not leave this place. If you're not right with God, why, why play games anymore? Some of you have a fear inside going, that Pastor Tim, I don't know what to do now. I'm going to tell you what to do. Give your life to God. Give your life to Jesus right now. Just give your life. Just say, God, I want you to come in my life. I can't face the future without you. I need Christ in my life. So what? Don't, don't even play anymore. So you don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to. This is, let's get things right today. If you're in this place and say, Pastor Tim, I got to get my life right with God today. I don't want to leave this place under any, any, with, with any doubt that when you sing about heaven, I want to know I'm going there. I don't want to worry about tomorrow. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer to be born again, and you're God to come into your heart, I want him in my life right now. Come on, hold up your hand as high as you can. Put it up as high as you can and say, that's me. Look at them all. Come on, keep them up as high as you can. Look at all these hands that are up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. All the way over there. There, 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 there. Balcony. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. All right, come on. Let's pray this all together. Say this out loud, everybody. Dear Lord Jesus. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. 
We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.